laying down our interests for others, about us, him calling the Philippians to work out their salvation as lights in the world. There's more of content. And we're going to be getting more content in the weeks ahead in chapter 3. But in this in-between passage, we get a picture of the process. It's a picture into the lives of real people whom Paul, who Paul is surrounded by and how he talks about them in front of other people. This, is kind of, this text is kind of like viewing text messages or email chains uh, of, those who've, and of a group of people who are only like a few decades separated from Jesus himself. It's, it's almost, it's like a peek under the hood, like popping open the hood of the car and seeing how the thing works into the embodied life of the early church. With Paul, and this was true with Jesus, and this is true with us, the how, how he ministers, how he, he works out his salvation, how following Christ works for him, the how is just as important as the what, what the ministry is, what he says, what his theology is. And what do we learn about the how? What do we learn about the process of Paul's ministry in this passage? The short, the short thing, and this is really what the sermon's about, this is what I've been talking with the kids. He honors his friends in Christ. That's what this passage shows us, what it's about. So what's going on? Uh, the background, for those of you who are maybe hopping in for the first time, haven't been tracking with us as we've been going through Philippians, uh, Paul uh, is in prison at, at this point in his life, and he just received, he received a gift and a letter from the Philippian church. They were concerned about him. They sent him a financial gift, and they had uh, a young man named Epaphroditus uh, deliver, the, de, um, deliver, go at a great risk and traveling far away, delivered this letter and this gift to him. And uh, the Philippians, you can read between the lines, like they, they're, they're, ner- they're nervous about Paul's welfare. Uh, they also really miss him. And they want Paul and Timothy, his, his, his disciple, to come visit them because they love him so much. Once he, if he's released from prison, they want him to come back. And now Paul, responding to their requests for information on how he's doing and their desire for him to come visit them, Paul in this passage gives instructions about how, who's going to come visit them and when and the order. That's the what. What are the, the, what are the, it's the outline for the plans for these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. But more striking than what, the fact that Epaphroditus is going back and that Timothy will come later, is how Paul talks about these men before the Philippian church. So let's look at each of these, the two sections of this, this uh, passage in more detail. It is about the two men. In verses 19 through 24, Paul talks about Timothy. Uh, he hopes to send uh, Timothy to them soon um, so that Timothy can check in on them uh, and bring news back to Paul to update Paul on how the Philippians are doing. Uh, Timothy has been attached to Paul's hip for a while now, if you've read through the New Testament. Uh, Timothy was actually there with Paul when Paul planted the church at Philippi. So Timothy is a, is a known man in Philippi, respected and loved and beloved. And, but I would draw your attention to note how Paul honors Timothy, uh, this guy who's been training under him, who's younger than him, Paul honors Timothy in verses 20 and following. He says, I have, he says about Timothy, he says, I have no one like him. He will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Uh, Paul even goes so far as to, to contrast Timothy's behavior with those of some of his local opponents. He says, some of my local, like the, the folks who are pestering, presumably those who are pestering him in Rome, 
they look out for their own interests, but, but Timothy looks out for the interests of others, for the interests of Christ specifically. And then most tenderly of all, Paul says, you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he served me in the gospel. Do you see how Paul, how he's lifting up Timothy? He's calling him, he's, he's like, this man is, he's indispensable. He's selfless. He's faithful. He's worthy. And I love him. Um, about a year ago, it was in this past January, uh, Dave Wenger, who is one of the other elders uh, here at Liberty, he, he and I both drove up together to Liberty Northeast. Um, Liberty is part of a, a wider communion of churches across southeastern Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And um, six to seven years ago, our church helped plant Liberty Northeast, which is in nor northeast Philadelphia, right around the, the border of, of the city. And um, their pastor, whose name was Evan Curry, he, he reached out to us, to our elders, to say, hey, could any of you come help us? We're, we're uh, interviewing and examining uh, a man to be an elder. And the, the guy actually being examined was Zach Devlin, who led worship for us recently. Um, and so he asked for, for our church's help. Like, hey, you guys have been through this before. You've, inter you've interviewed and examined elders before. Uh, but the situ that's, that situation, there were kind of some similarities. Like a, a church that's been planted asking for help from the church from, or the place from, the, from whom they were planted and I ended up with a really important thing. Examining an elder is really important. It was a similar situation. Imagining like the Apostle Paul sending Dave Wenger to Liberty Northeast. It's like the lines of the email would probably say something like, Dave, like the, imagine the, the email from the Apostle Paul to Evan. It's like Dave would say about Dave, we've got no one like him. He's a servant. This guy, he's served in every way imaginable at Liberty over nearly 20 years. He's been a, lead, a home leader, a liturgist. He served in nursery. He's a finance team leader. He's an elder. He's been a brother to me through hard years, through moves and budget windfalls, pandemics and pastoral transitions. He's worthy. He's wise. And you can trust him. If such an email were out there, can you see what it reveals about how the people in a place would relate to one another, what it would reveal about how the, the culture of honor among, and the friendship, even among the leaders. How refl this, reflect, this kind of honor reflects a depth of friendship. This is a window into how Paul spoke about his brothers and sisters in Christ. He honored them like they're his friends. But sadly for the Philippians, we see at the end of this section of the passage, he has to tell them, I can't send Timothy to you yet. I, I know you want him to come. I can't send him to you yet. Why? Basically because he's so great, and Paul says, and I need him here. Uh, it's, it's unclear to Paul which way his imprisonment's gonna go. He's, hope, he's, he's confident he's gonna be released, uh, which we know, we know that he, he, he actually doesn't get released. But he's like, I gotta keep Timothy with me. So sadly for the, they don't, sadly for the Philippians, they don't get to see Timothy right away. The second man that he talks about is Epaphroditus. Uh, Paul is sending Epaphroditus back with the letter we are reading. So Epaphroditus would have taken, you know, Paul would have written this, he would have, not, he would have dictated this letter, someone else would have written it, perhaps Timothy would have written it. And then Epaphroditus, who was the one who delivered the, who, came, who was a Philippian himself, delivered, originally delivered the gift and 
letter to Paul, expressing about how he's doing, Paul is giving this letter that we're reading back to Epaphroditus to bring back to the Philippian church. And like I said, Epaphroditus was originally from Philippi. And so Paul praising this guy like he does here is it's like him uplifting a man before his hometown. Uh, this letter that he that we are reading, it would have been delivered to, that, to the Philippian church and it would have been read in the assembly of the whole congregation. It would have been, and Epaphrodite, with Epaphroditus, the message carrier standing right there. So you can imagine as this letter is read for the first time, Epaphroditus standing right there. Paul says, Epaphroditus, he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. He cites how Epaphroditus was sick near to death three to, in three different ways in this passage. And God had mercy on him and healed him. Paul shares like, his affection for Epaphroditus by saying, like, if God spared me, had mercy on me even by sparing Epaphroditus' life, because if he would have died, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. And Paul commends, he, he, he tells the Philippians, receive him back with joy and with honor. This is, a, this is a courageous man. He risked his life to bring the, the, this message to me. He risked his life for the sake of Christ. It's just, this is all just a reminder for, for folks. And maybe you're, you're here today, you're, you're exploring what the Bible is. And I, I think often we have this understanding of the Bible being like, if we wrote the Bible ourselves, it would be like this collection of rules or theology that would kind of just descend down on us. But our, the scripture that we have is it's, it was real-life writings for real-life people. Like Paul was a man who would have been, who, who had close friends whom he loved and spent time with, and who he would have immeasurably, immeasurably been grieved if he'd lost them. Um, this is the, the packaging of our scriptures. It's really quite astounding. So the content again. The content is simply... Timothy's coming later, Epaphroditus is coming now. But the process we see in this is honor, honor, honor for these two men, for these two friends in Christ. And this is usually a passage that seems like a, you know, if you're going to skip over a passage in Philippians, this would be the one to skip over. It seems like an insignificant passage, insignificant details. But I would suggest to you that this passage, it's a snapshot into how to change the world. It's through friendship and honoring our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like this, this letter we're getting, this, uh, this text message, this email chain that we're seeing. It's, like tw- it's only 25 years or so after Jesus himself was spending time with his literal friends, his, his disciples, so Paul's friendships, how he honors these men, honors those in Christ who labor with him, both men and women across his letters. He would have been very influenced by how Jesus treated his own friends. This is not very, these, these, these things are not far apart. Uh, and we see in the Gospels how Jesus, how, how Jesus treats his friends. Like, how, but how does Jesus cha- seek to change the world? If you read through the Gospels. How does Jesus seek to introduce the world to the kingdom of heaven? Is it through his teachings? Yes, that's definitely part of it. That's just a, por- that's a portion of his ministry. Through healings, yes. There are many who weren't healed. 
primarily Jesus sought to change the world through having a small, ragtag band of friends who spent all their time together and learned from one another and loved one another and ministered together. That was the plan. That was God's plan for changing the world. On the night before Jesus died, at the climax of his ministry, Jesus said to, to, his, to these men, to the folks who were closest to him, he said, no longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. This is at the heart of what we call the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is that Jesus came to them, and he also comes to us, sinful, apathetic, weak us. And he wants to befriend us. Um, just imagine yourself, and with the kids here, there are some kids who, who can maybe feel this more closely than the grown-ups do. It's like, imagine your, what your schooling was like growing up and sitting in the lunchroom or the cafeteria. For the homeschool kids, this will be, this, this, uh, this, this won't work, but imagine the cafeteria where you sat in high school or whatever with all of your insecurities. You felt like you were the outcast, the nerd, you were nervous. Maybe you were the bully. There could be some of those in here. But deep inside, you know, each of us, there's like this kid version of ourselves feeling like we don't belong and we don't have friends in the lunchroom. Jesus is the one who walks across the cafeteria, sees all of our sins, our weaknesses, our insecurities, our failures, all the ways that we're going to betray him and let him down. And he still looks you in the eyes and he says, I want to be your friend. Jesus loved his friends to the point of sacrificing himself for them on the cross, even after they'd all abandoned him. Jesus is the friend, capital F, friend. Any good friend that you have in your life who's been there for you when you've needed them, it's, it's a picture of, of the way that Christ loves his church, loves us, befriends us. And now we get to go do that. That's what Paul went and did. So he befriended. Now we get to go do that. We get to go make friends, cultivate friendships, and love one another until we die. That's the way God picked to change the world. First in Jesus, and then in these little churches spread across the Mediterranean that we're reading about in Philippians. And now, too. This is how we, we change. We see change come to our families, our blocks, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. It's by making and being friends, and particularly by honoring our brothers and sisters in Christ. So what does this practically mean for us? Like, for those of us sitting here, Sunday, October 29th, what does it mean? It means some of the biggest world-shifting things that we could do this week. One thing, like a, a world-shifting thing you could do this week is just, just write a letter to a, encouraging a long-term friend of yours. Do you know how badly some of your friends need to be encouraged? Is there someone you could text today to tell them you're thinking about them, praying for them, a way that you could honor them? What else does this look like? It looks like making new friends, befriending new folks on the other side of our assigned seats at church, outside of our, our wonderful cliques that we group, group into at, at coffee hour. It means 
coming to things like men's retreats, where friendship just, it just cultivates, it just grows. Not necessarily because we're always trying, but because it's a place where it grows. It looks like helping a friend move, making a meal for a couple you haven't connected with in a while. It looks like having a play date with a parent and child that in the church maybe you don't know very well. It looks like putting time on the calendar to, to check in, spend time with a friend every week or every month and sticking to it. Now, all these suggestions for how this works, looking to the example of Paul, being empowered in it by Christ, um, all these are examples, particularly thinking within the household of the church. Paul is doing this with his brothers and sisters in Christ. But let me end here. For those of you here who are, you're not sure where you, you stand with Jesus, you're, you're investigating, you wanna, you're asking questions about him, I would ask you, does being part of something like this, as I've described it, as we see modeled by Paul here, is there something about this that sounds appealing to you at all? To be known and honored like Paul knows and honors Timothy and Epaphroditus. And this sounds, I know this sounds really cheesy. It sounds like, it just sounds cheesy. Uh, Jesus wants to be your friend. If you can get through the cheesiness, can you feel how profound that is? Is there anything more precious than when life is hard and there's a friend who sticks with you through thick and through thin? Jesus offers himself to you as that. But more than that, he offers his church to be that for you. He offers his church to be the people who pick you up when you fall down, who sit next to you when you're sick, who will honor you when you feel discouraged. And if you have any interest in being part of something like that, there are many here who would love to talk to you. So brothers and sisters, I would charge you with this, this verse from, from Hebrews um, as friends, as we honor one another, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.